Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. We welcome you to another uh, program, um, Bible study, as we call it here. And today we're going to be looking at um, considerations in Romans chapter 10. That's right, we're just going to take one little spot right out of the middle of it there and look at it, even though I don't recommend that typically. So this will be episode one of this. Um, now, I have um, uh, I have reasons why I do things like this uh, because of some of the things that I'm reading, hearing, looking at, studying, how it touches other things. And when it comes to Romans chapter 10, we find a lot of issues coming from uh, Christendom, groups within uh, Christendom, uh, and they seem to have some very different directions they go with this. And that's um, unfortunate. And I'd like to look at it closely so we can maybe eliminate any of those doubts that people have. So I do really welcome everyone that's tuned in today and those in the class here, for we are open, of course. Uh, our class is open and our assembly hall is open on the Lord's Day today. Now, concerning this chapter 10 of Romans, it's understood uh, by most um, that uh, have anything to do with uh, making, setting times and dates uh, for Bible writings and uh, events that the Apostle Paul wrote his epistle 
to the assembly in Rome in about A.D. 58 from Corinth. So he was in Corinth, and he wrote this epistle to the assembly in Rome. He had never been there himself. That, that came later. So he was, uh, and that was how he was expressing himself when he wrote to them. He knew of them. He even knew uh, some of the folks that were there. Um, but that's why th- this, this entire book is kind of an emotional, uh, emotional writing because of the topic and, and the subject matter of this epistle. So I want to break into his letter here in chapter 10 because uh, I think it's necessary. Much of this chapter touches on not only the, the main subject of most of the letter, which is the issue between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, but it also deals with doctrine, apostolic doctrine, concerning the Lord's Church, uh, concerning how people looked at each other, how they looked at the history uh, that had come before, and what was at hand. Matter of fact, uh, Romans has a, a passage in it in the very last chapter about how the Apostle Paul makes it clear, just uh, kind of paraphrasing, Uh, saying that God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, I don't know what you do with a verse like that that was written in A.D. 58, but I think you need to consider it. But believe me, it's not considered very much in the world of Christendom. Nonetheless, it's just as inspired, just as correct, and and it came from the same place as all the rest that we find in Romans, and that we need to uh, be aware of. I think the the doctrine of Christ, the things that, that are certainly spoken of in chapter 10, are very important for us to know. Uh, first, to know what the apostle said about it, how he phrased it, but but to know exactly all there is to know about the the apostles' doctrine as given in the New Testament. Now, a little bit of background on Paul's words um, in the previous chapters. There's nine chapters that come before this, and they're packed full of not only doctrinal teaching, but the comparison between Jews and Gentiles. Um, even a look at it, Uh, before the Lord, before the church, and then as the church was born and and as it progresses, how all of this fits together, uh, how God has made the two one. uh, And I think people understood that, but they were still very uh, biased with the different cultures that they had come, come from. And I think we can be sympathetic on that a little bit. Uh, but not to go beyond, not to take that, though, to where we are uh, discounting apostolic doctrine for the church. And when we say the church or the assembly, we mean all the Christians. Uh, 
all of the Jews, all of the Greeks, all of the males and females, slaves and free men, everyone, God made one in Christ. And that's a message that somehow and sometimes uh, kind of gets forgotten. So as we read Romans, any of it, but chapter 10 especially, we need to always be remembering who he's speaking to. You know, one of the big criticisms here is they, there's a couple of phrases that have to do with salvation. And it'll say, this, you, by this you are saved or something. One thing. Well, a lot of people want to take that one phrase and go out and run with it, build their whole congregation and their whole uh, uh, belief system on one verse out of one chapter, not realizing that this wasn't an evangelistic writing. He was writing to the church. Um, this wasn't a sermon. This wasn't a, a revival message. This was a letter to the church. In other words, there's a lot of things that are assumed. They, they knew what, how they were saved, but he wanted to talk about certain points within that. So we need to remember who was being spoken to, the time period, and the fact that they were Christians that were receiving this letter, and they really had no need of the gospel message being proposed step by step every other verse. And that's going to become real clear in chapter 10. Um, is, there a, is there a gospel message that, that people need to hear from start to, to finish? Yes, there is. Of course there is. We're not discounting that. And Paul is not discounting that. Well, we hear that over and over in Acts. That's right. And friends, if, if we went by that sort of logic and that sort of rules, like, well, it doesn't say you need to be this or that or something else, our Bible, we couldn't haul it in with us in a wheelbarrow. It would be that thick. Uh, it keeps repeating itself. You know, that's not how these things are done. That's why we say we take the whole counsel of God and we don't have to uh, re-clarify what's been said uh, every five minutes. Now, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine, so I want to get that cleared up. Now, I think we begin with what I think is incredible about the entire, or the Apostle Paul's writings or epistles in general, but here in Romans, he's got a method of teaching a method, I say. In other words, this is this is useful uh, to be able to teach two cultures in one se in a setting where they're together. Um, I think that's incredible. You you see how you know today when people have meetings and seminars, usually the audience is packed with people who already agree with the speaker. Now, there might be some opposition, but they may also soon be exited out of the back door. But nonetheless, this is not that sort of audience here. He's talking and teaching the Jews and the Gentiles who had both come to Christ, that were now in Christ, were now part of the assembly and, you know, the Apostle Paul, I think, was best suited of all of the 
apostles for this sort of mission because he understood both cultures um, from his own life experience. Uh, he understood the culture of the Jews all the way through not only growing up in a Jewish household, of course, with his father being a Pharisee and and uh, the Apostle Paul going through all of the the rigors of Jewish life as a young man, becoming a Pharisee himself and a teacher of Pharisees as it went on to be a real leader in Israel. But all the time, understand the culture of the, of the Roman Empire where his home was, uh, the people of, of Asia, uh, the people of the land, all, the, all surrounded uh, everywhere he went for ministry work, he understood these people. Now that can't be said for all the apostles. Uh, most of the apostles, uh, well, before they were sent out, the day of Pentecost, let's say, um, those apostles had never left their homeland. Well, Neil, it's so unique, the way that Saul, Paul, was drafted in. Mm-hmm. And it... it you know, I mean, except for some things in the Old Testament where, you know, we hear about um, uh, who's the guy that got swallowed by the fish? What's wrong? Jonah. 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 And there's some other people, you know, Moses, Abraham, or whatever, where there's some, you know, there's some, uh, there's some work to get him involved, you know? Right. And... And, but in this case, in the New Testament, I don't remember anybody getting absolutely slid into the game the way that Paul did. Yeah. And it has to be, Neil. Like you said, it has to be because of who he was and what he knew, yeah. how he was. And if we study the in Acts on how Saul was brought in, we'll find that uh, before he was born, he was selected for this work. He was born for it. Uh, yeah. So, even though he was a Jew from Tarsus, um, lived in a Gentile world, in a Roman world, yeah. he still was ever a bit, if not more, zealous for the Jewish culture and the Jewish way than uh, even the people that had never left Palestine, had never left uh, the, the land of the Jews, if you will. So I, this, is, this is why I think this is so interesting. He had the life experience when necessary. And the emotion of this, I think, comes through because the Apostle Paul is not upset and angry with his countrymen, the Jews. And he doesn't feel the Gentiles are second-class human beings. He has this all... He has this right in his mind. Remember, he was taught by Christ himself. He had the mind of Christ as the other apostles. They spoke for Christ. Now that ended when the apostles ended, even though there is a large religion that considers that that passed from one to the other. That The scripture is clear that it did not. We don't need that, friends. We have the scriptures, the word of God. But within the Roman church, there apparently was strife. Um, 
jealousy, wrong-placed pride. Of course, friends, I suppose this could be common with pretty much every assembly to a certain point. But within the group in Rome, this was, this was the case. Uh, due to, I think, really a lack of understanding in, in, in a complete way, uh, why some of these struggles were happening. But this kind of a situation in any assembly makes the assembly weak because they're blinded by such things as emotions and fear. Uh, and there was much fear to be had in the world uh, in 58 AD, uh, especially to Christians and Jews. Uh, they were about to enter into a very serious um, issue with Nero where he pretty much declared war on everything Jewish and Christian. Um, and that continued for some time. It seems that the assembly at Rome may have not been asking the right questions. If you understand what I mean by that, um, I know I've done the very same thing, have not asked the right questions to solve the problem that I was having. If I'd have just phrased it properly, I might have got an answer that was useful. And I'm sure this was happening. I don't think they were nearly as concerned with the true nature of God's mystery re revealed now, what mystery is that? Well, the apostles revealed the mystery of God that had not been known through the ages that God would make one people from two. And God had called out people from Abraham to make a people for his own uh, within that first covenant that we call the Jewish covenant. That left the rest of the people. Uh, they were called the nations or Gentiles. Um, God made the two become one in Christ, and that was the mystery, um, that this was the work that came from heaven. It didn't come from a group of men coming together and saying, let's get everybody involved in this. That's what a lot of folks want us to believe, that this, is, this was the theology of the day. Uh, I've seen books offered for sale with, with the question, uh, how is it that the Gentiles became Christians? This was a Jewish sect. This was a Jewish way of uh, a Jewish religion. Uh, they act like they don't. They have no clue how it could have happened. So they write a book. Well, there is one book that teaches all about that, but apparently that's not noticed. I think this is a shortcoming uh, amongst the brethren. Um, in general, but God did not leave them or us scratching our heads. He sent a word from heaven. He sent his son from heaven to represent his will. And his son, when he had accomplished his work on earth, which was to remove the penalty for sin, he sent out his apostles to bring the world into the kingdom. And that, that work was done. Now, he sent a word 
we call it the scriptures. And we need to rely on the scriptures. We can't rely on the scriptures as being from God, inspired by him, protected by him, and, and uh, delivered to us under those, that circumstance, then we're, we have an issue. But the way to get around that is to make a study for yourself about the reliability of scripture. Uh, there is a book out there I think is very good on this by F.F. F. Bruce, um, reliability of the New Testament. He deals with the Scripture in general. Uh, if you want a scholarly look at evidence that means something to scholars and things of that sort, you're going to find that the Scriptures are unique. Men have tried to keep the works of men, and most of them have been lost. Um, and he, he touches on that too. It's incredible. And yet we have the scriptures as they are. And uh, they stand on their own. Uh, if someone wants to disprove them, they have ample opportunity. I don't believe any Christian should say, why am I here? I think we should know why if we understand who we truly are in God's eyes. If we are truly in Christ, then we are a new creation in him. So I think it should follow that we are here to do the work of our master. Now that work takes on many different uh, avenues. Uh, not everyone in the kingdom is is uh, going to be doing one thing. You, you need people doing multiple things within the kingdom to sustain the people as they are. And Romans chapter 6, of course, deals with this idea of the new creation very well. The whole chapter. So for a Christian to say, why am I here? It only says to me that they don't understand who they are. And we do need to understand who we are and where we're at. That's why I'm, I'm so adamant about times, dates, and, and, the, and the chronology of things. If we can't figure out who we are and where we're at, it's kind of hard to look either direction, back or ahead. What is his work? The work of Christ. I think the work is to reveal salvation through his name. To reveal the glory and power of God to the lost world. That was the work of the apostles, of course. Then it became the work of the evangelists. Uh, the work of the prophets, even. Became the work of the teachers and the elders. And it became the work of all Christians to be involved in that. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, we have a very nice passage that deals with this. Ephesians 3, 8 through 13. Of course, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus talking about this subject. To me, the less than the least of all the saints 
Now this is the apostle speaking of himself here. Was given this grace among the nations to proclaim good news, or the gospel, we would say. The untraceable riches of the Christ. And to cause all to see what is the fellowship of the secret that hath been hid from the ages in God, who the all things did create through Jesus Christ. That there might be made known now to the principalities and the authorities in the heavenlies. Okay? Places through the assembly, the manifold wisdom of God. Let me talk about that verse 10 just a second. You know, we just studied about the idea of heaven and earth. So when you see that word heavenlies, can you grasp the thinking here? We're, we're not talking about something happening out around Alpha Centauri somewhere. Uh, the heavenlies are, is the, the realm of God's creation. The heavenlies would include the adversary and, and his, and his uh, minion. It includes the power and, and, and the, uh, the people of Israel, those, those in charge. Um, it, it includes the people. You see, this is an idea of, this idea is being brought to everyone who has a need to know. So principalities and powers in the heavenlies is not just something up in the sky somewhere. Because we know the heavenlies include the government and the people of God also. Also the adversaries, such as Satan and his minion. You think the preaching of the gospel, what do you suppose Satan thought when he heard the words of the gospel of, in Christ? Because he knew that, as the apostles taught, that Christ came to destroy the works of Satan. That's John, 1 John. I think he's very involved in this whole process uh, and is definitely being affected. This is, this is what we need to do. Okay, I didn't finish my passage. Verse 10. Then we move to verse 11. According to a purpose of the ages, which he made in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have freedom and the access in confidence through the faith of him. Wherefore, I ask you not to faint in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And he goes on speaking in that vein. You want to know what the church should be doing? It should be involved in what's happening in verse 10. Even though circumstances have changed for us, yet the idea of this message being a message for all that are living is right there, I believe. Now, is this the work that we see the world of Christendom involved in today? Is this the sort of work that we see Christendom involved? Have we lost our way? It seems we have. You know, I see Christendom 
in all of its different avenues of disagreement, still trying to replace the apostles' doctrine with their own. This seems to be the goal of every denomination, whether they're old, new, or their better idea will supplant the apostolic words, and they're not even mentioned. As I said, you know, it, it really irks me to see the name of an apostle on a building, which is improper, and then you go in the building and you never hear a thing about the apostles. So I believe this is why the study of Romans and, and teachings like this to people really has an emotional level that I think sometimes we miss in just a cursory read or um, just looking at it in a general way. Neil, I, I, I really think you're onto something here. I know you're onto something here because years and years of David Crackster teaching has showed us that what we should be doing when we're reading this is embracing the dynamic of what was happening then. And it seems like only when you do that, only when you understand the power of what was being, of what was coming out of the Jews and then into the Gentiles and all that that caused, it seems like only then can you understand where you fit into it now. Yeah. Well, I think that's just exactly right. That's why I had those uh, many lessons on about reading someone else's mail because if we're going to be reading her mail, yeah. let's get involved in the emotion of what's going on. You know, who they are, when this was sent, and all of the things about it so we can get a personal feeling. Now, obviously, there's some things in there that really don't apply to us now. We should be able to see that. Can we read a letter that we get and see that same thing today? If we get a letter, we, we understand. And if we don't, if we ever got a letter anymore, we hardly ever do, but we might have to text them and find out, what do you mean by this? You know, But we are always discerning what's being said. And, and Except for when we do that. We've, you see, when it comes to the Bible, we, we get the idea that everybody has an idea that whatever it means to them is, whatever, is what it means. Well, that's not true. There you go. It's what it meant to them is what we need to know. And then we can move on. But look, we don't move on without that. Look at King Nebuchadnezzar. If you That's right. brought to him your interpretation of his dreams, he'd kill you. Yeah, what That's happened? right. That's right, yeah, good. And he was aware of all of the, the fallacies of men's interpretations because he decided not only are you going to interpret my dream, but first you're going to tell me what it was. And you know... That that really that was a real problem for the for the magicians and soothsayers of his court. And this we should know. This is common sense, really. And the king showed he had he had common sense, but he needed a little more. But Neil, it's it's not being taught. No, it wasn't being taught when we were growing up in the Christian church, and I don't think it's gotten any better. Yeah. Well, that that's true. Um, the, the times dictate a lot of the emphasis of teaching. And uh, the idea of what it was to be a Christian 
was paramount in the in my early years within the the community of of America. There was a real struggle over that issue. We still have it today. Unfortunately, it seems we've almost given up on the whole concept. I remember the years, and Nathan probably does too, in the high school class in Chandler. And those classes were such a struggle. Every week it was just a struggle in there, trying to figure out what it is Paul's trying to say to us. Yeah. We weren't studying it right. No, so yeah, nothing right. was accomplished. Nothing. That that's what we're trying to. That's right. We're trying to eliminate that problem. That's a tough one. Um, well, it's all a part of taking a literary approach. It, it's a literary approach instead of a, 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 a literal. literal. That's the way that we were. That's the that was the method in which we studied in years. Well, we were always taught that. The entire Bible is speaking to us personally, and that God is in charge of everything, which would include our next word. Yep. Not right. And the only thing that mattered was our personal relationship. Yeah. All those phrases, well, they might have been well-meaning in their thinking, but they don't, you can't live a life that's useful under those circumstances. Well, it made people walk off, and I was one of them. And that was ridiculous. Nothing was right. done. It leaves you a weakling. Um, that's why I said, you know, this, this sort of controversy in the church leaves us weak. And if we're weak, we might be swayed. Or we might just get sick of it. That we don't want to do. Because I believe the scripture is, is, is the fire that in us. Knowing what's being said getting involved in, in what's being said, understanding the, the situation. I don't mean memorizing it word for word, although that wouldn't hurt, but you still have to be able to know what it says. Now, I grew up knowing a, a lady uh, that owned a movie theater that had memorized the entire Bible and could have cared less for not a, a single thing in it. He probably had a few other books memorized, too. But my dad used to try to talk to her about the Bible, and she would quote the verse for him, then just stare at him. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, I think we start with this point in our reading. Paul's love for his brethren through the blood connection. You see... Paul was a Jewish man. He wasn't hiding it. He had a love for his brethren. Why wouldn't he? Even though they were treating him badly on the, on the big part. The Jewish people, those were his brethren, the house of Jacob, uh, house of Israel, however you want to phrase it. So in Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, I think we find Paul giving... Making, making his his heartfelt plea to God known to the people reading this letter, and he says, "Brethren, the pleasure indeed, or I think another scripture says, my heart's desire, the pleasure indeed of my heart, and my supplication, that is my petition to God, 
that is to God for Israel is what? For salvation. These are his brethren. The Lord came and died for the Jews that, that the, promise, the promise of God to Abraham of sonship would be fulfilled within the Jewish people. That's salvation. And that's what the apostle wanted all Israel and all of his Jewish brethren to come to a, a good understanding, clear understanding. But it had not been accomplished as yet. For I bear them testimony that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing the righteousness of God and their own righteousness, seeking to establish to the righteousness of God, they didn't, did not submit. Oh, he says so much here. You know, he's just telling the story of how, how the way, the way of Christ has progressed in, in Judaism to this point. That's where they were. Of course, many had, had come uh, to the Messiah. But he is saying that he bears them testimony. He appreciates and he loves their zeal they have for their God. They weren't, they weren't uh, agnostics or atheists. Uh, they believed in, in God. They understood that. They had a zeal but not according to knowledge. Did Jesus impart knowledge? Of course he did. He imparted the knowledge, and as, as he said in a number of places, these are not my words alone, but the words that I heard from my Father. Now, here is where the, the weight of it all fell upon the Jewish people. Who is this carpenter's son that has just told me that? You think they should just accept it and follow him? Or maybe they need to look into the whole thing. They need to know a lot more than just some, what somebody said. But that's quite a statement. That's the kind of statement that would get you stoned if it were untrue. It's like a being a false prophet. So, not according to knowledge, and by the way, that, that's the knowledge. Uh, that's the knowledge. I'm not sure wh which word that is. If it's the one that is um, absolutely the one that is learned. I think it, it might, may not be. Okay, we'll look that. Okay, it's... Uh, that's full discernment. That's, that's not learned, correct? That's yeah. It, well, that's, that it, it would for them it would have to be learned uh -huh. because they didn't hear it from God. They didn't get, gain it there, yeah. as the apostles heard it. Um, but th this is a knowledge that is needed. If they don't have this knowledge, they're not going to understand or have full discernment concerning 
salvation. And who better to raise that point than Paul? Right. Who had was very zealous for God while he was hunting Christians. He lived in that circumstance, didn't he? So he knew, not according to knowledge. It took a vision from heaven, and the very and the very voice of of the Savior to convince him. Now, once he he understood, of course, he was convinced. And he was willing to put aside all that he was, all that he had in Judaism, which was considerable, more than we probably know, along with his reputation as being a Pharisee of Pharisees, being a member of the council, uh, the Sanhedrin, being a leader in Israel, all of that he put aside to be the man he is here. So, and still showing the love he has for the Jewish people. And they, the Jewish people, were still trying to do what? Find, find a way to please God through their own righteousness. In other words, obeying the law that the apostles told them they were not obeying anyway. They still were breaking the law. But they were trying to establish that in, in a way to make themselves righteous through the law instead of the righteousness that God required. And, of course, that was faith in the promise of God. To the righteousness of God, they did not submit. Let's, let's look at that idea of law just a little bit. They did not submit. What is it they didn't submit to? The gospel. The gospel of Christ. Jesus of Nazareth as being Messiah. Let's look at Romans chapter 3, 19 through 23. And I don't have these verses in my outline but if you want to keep them, you should write them down. And we have known that as many things as the law saith, to those in the law it doth speak, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may come under judgment to God. Wherefore, by works of law shall no flesh be declared righteous before him. For the law... For through law is a knowledge of sin. And now, apart from the law, hath the righteousness of God been manifested, or clearly seen, testified to by the law and the prophets. That's the scriptures, friends. Verse 22, And the righteousness of God is through faith, in Jesus Christ to all, and upon all those believing. For there is no difference. For all did sin and are come short of the glory of God. You see, friends, how it was 2,000 years ago when the Jewish people, they, were, they had a pride in their culture, in the law of Moses. Even though 
they should have known by their own studies that their the promise was not through law, but it was through the promise. The law was added to show just what it said. They, that, that, that they would have a knowledge of sin. The sonship would come through promise. Sonship comes through the promise. And the, and the example, of course, is Abraham. Through faith, he obeyed God. Um, so only through faith in God would the promise come. And then Romans 8, 1 through 3, a familiar text, speaking the same basic thing. There is then according to the Apostle Paul, no, now no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus did set me free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law was not able to do that it was weak through the flesh. God, his own son, having sent in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, did condemn the sin in the flesh. Now that's how he gets started on his message here in chapter 8. We just need to understand, and here's the problem we have today. We still have people convinced that by, by obeying the law of God that they read about in the Bible, that they are pleasing to God and he will accept them on those terms. Even though even the Jews were not accepted by simply being obedient to the law, they also needed faith. It's always been faith from the very beginning. Did Noah build the ark? Uh any other way than through faith in what God had told him? Did God send down an army of angels to to uh, bring the written document from heaven and build a thing for him? It's through faith. It's through faith all the way through Scripture. So what what's his desire here? Paul's plea. We're running short of time. My heart's desire that the Jews may be saved. That was That's true. Why not? It should be ours too. For they, and this is the tragedy of it, had a zeal for God without knowledge. And you know why they were without knowledge? Because they hadn't gone far enough, even in their own uh, religion, even in their own um, covenant, to understand all that was there. Jesus came to explain it. The apostles came to to examine and re-explain it. Um, and yet, they were still going their own way. Yeah, they were still stoning their prophets, chasing the apostles across the countryside, running them out of one town after another, wouldn't let them back in the synagogue. Killed as many as they could. That's all part of the Jewish experience, friends. Not not the Romans. Romans came afterwards. 
the Romans considered Christians to simply be Jews. They didn't have any bias against Christianity. They they felt they were it was simply they were all the same. That's right. Mm-hmm. And many today have the same condition that we find the Jews had in the in the first century. Still trying to find another way to be good enough to go to heaven outside of following Christ, obeying the gospel, submitting to the terms of pardon that God has given. So they, that is the Jews, following their own understanding, that's an Old Testament terminology, by the way, about the Jews, following their own understanding, have not been conformed to the pattern of God's pardon. That means they have rejected Christ in their lives. We still have the same condition today. We have the same condition today. And we're going to we're going to pause there in this lesson. Um we're just getting a good start, but we're going to start again with with uh verse 4 next time we meet. Uh because this one thing builds on to another in this chapter and we need to have it all uh if we can. So I appreciate your attention to this. I hope it's going to be useful and has been useful uh, to set the clear the path, make a straight path to see the truth of God's uh, pardon in the way that we should. That would be my my plea. Let us dismiss in a, in a prayer then. We thank you, Father, for the apostolic teachings that you have preserved for the world so that we may know the words from heaven and your will for men and women wherever they may be found. And with these things, Father, we find much, much joy and hope for our life uh, as we Go to our heavenly home in in the day that it may occur. That we have the faith, Father, to know and to to reveal it to others. We thank you and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.